0: A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. Well, here we are. Once again, I welcome you to the show. Thanks for being part of a growing audience of people who are questioning the narrative that I guess we're supposed to believe. I mean, it's not just like, hey, you should, you should probably believe this. It's like, you will believe this <laughs> or else. And actually, we're going to spend some time today talking about what happens when, when you're being pressed to, to live in a way that's inconsistent with what your conscience is telling you. I know we all feel it at some level, but it's tough. It's tough. You got a decision to make, and I'm uh, I'm not going to take tell you. Well, here's what you have to do. Um, I am going to offer some thoughts, though, that uh, hopefully will help you put your conscience above whatever is twisting your arm at the moment. And the reason I say that is because your conscience is the one thing that you will take with you when your life is over. Yeah, I guess I'm confessing. I believe in. Uh, I believe there is more than just this existence and uh, after reading this incredible essay by Leonard E Reed it's called <clears throat>, conscience on the battlefield it was one of the one of the most eye-opening essays that i've read in my life because he makes a very strong case that you know when when uh, you get to the end of your life all the things you look back on all the accomplishments your financial net worth your awards you've received the lives you've touched none of those are going to follow you into whatever comes next. But your conscience will. And if you're meeting your conscience for the very first time, when, when you reach that point, it could be kind of an awkward trip. That's that's the kind way of putting it. Anyway, getting into some deep philosophy right off the bat. Wow! <laughs> Let's not hold back. Our show is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, also the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and lifesavingfood.com. I have links to each of these sponsors in today's show notes. These are the show notes for August 6th. And you can find them at the Brian Hyde show.com So I don't know if it seems chaotic to you. It sure seems chaotic to me as I look around. In fact, I see a lot of stuff going on, and it, part of it's COVID-related, part of it's political-related, part of it's just that general sense of cultural decline where, you know, there's... There's a cancel culture mob just waiting. They're looking. They have like dogs, hearing and sense of smell. They're sniffing out any departure from the orthodoxy, so they can pounce and they can punish whoever has you know offended by by not towing the line. And when I think about that, I'm sure I'm not the only person who thinks, man, I wish I could just run for the hills. <laughs> Just go find a quiet place somewhere where, you know, I'm, a, I'm away from those prying eyes and ears that are on the prowl looking for a reason to be offended so that they can fly into a frenzy. And I felt that way, you know, for a long time. I've, I've been paying attention to, to what's going on. I mean, really paying attention, as in trying to learn and understand and, and get my mind around it for at least the last 25 years, probably closer to 30 years. And that doesn't mean that I'm any expert. I'm just saying that there came a point where I realized, "Huh, this doesn't seem right." And I started to, you know, pay attention and see why is this the case? And as much as I've longed to basically step away from society and go find myself a I don't know, a nice little mountainside in Idaho, <laughs> away from everybody, where I can just, you know, live my life and be unmolested, In my heart, I understand that uh, I can't do whatever I was born to do. I can't do it in isolation. I can't do it by going and hiding away on some desert island somewhere. So there's going to be risk involved. That's kind of tough for me because I'm I'm not a person who's super comfortable with risk. But if I'm going to do something that actually makes a difference i got to be willing to uh, to suffer and i'm not telling you well if you're not suffering you're not doing it right i'm just saying that's that's a reality that i think pretty much all of us are facing today especially if you have principles and especially if you have ideals that are counter to what the prevailing moral imperative or the prevailing fashion or fad may be I came across a really great essay from Isaac Morehouse. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I love Isaac's take on just about everything because he's a very positive person. This guy's an innovator. He's a thinker. And he likens our situation where we are right now to the movie A Quiet Place. I don't know if you've seen this, John Krasinski. It's, it's a good movie. It's, it's very well done. But when you live in a quiet place, you have to be very careful because drawing any attention to yourself can be dangerous. And I like Isaac Morehouse's advice because he says, hey, the solution is to live out loud anyway. Here's what he says. He says, we are living in the movie A Quiet Place and its sequel. If you speak, if you make any sound, if your existence, you living your life, you merely being or breathing, broadcasts any kind of signal that disturbs disturbs the lurking devourers, you get killed. This is speech. This is expression. This is living out loud. This is being your beliefs. And he asks, what happens in this world? Well, most people get killed. A zombified cityscape remains an eerie, quiet shell of what it was just before the madness. So what do you do? Most hide. They go off the grid, they flee, they hunker down, and they still get killed because humans can't live in silence. Others find a protected island utopia where they can live freely without the rest of the world knowing. But they too eventually get killed. Because humans living freely reverberates beyond the borders of any protected citadel. And so he says, is there any solution to such a suffocating force? Now listen to his answer. It is not to remain quiet. It is not to run and hide. It's not to build a fortress. Those will not work in the long term because you are human. You must speak out. You must live out loud. Your existence must register. Ultimately, he says, the solution is to speak. It is to be loud in a specific way. To find a frequency that cripples and destroys the enemy that wishes to silence you. And to broadcast that frequency so loudly it covers the globe. Now, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, as a homework assignment, what you ought to do is sit down this weekend and watch A Quiet Place. And maybe the sequel, too. Although I can think of worse ways to pass the time. It's a pretty good movie. But think about what uh, what Isaac Morehouse is suggesting here. Instead of quietly shrinking away and becoming a wallflower and, you know, doing everything you can to just avoid drawing any attention whatsoever. Your existence has to register. And that doesn't mean you have to go out there and bang the drum and be a one man band. And you know, you don't have to be a spectacle to have influence. You just have to be the kind of person who lives in such a way that it it broadcasts what you are, what you represent, what you stand for. Now, I know that sounds lofty. And here I am, you know, I'm sitting here in the safety of my studio telling you these things. But I also tell you this from the perspective of someone who, for speaking out over the years, has also, you know, paid a price from time to time. And sometimes it's just unkind words. Believe it or not, you get to where unkind words really don't phase you so bad. You know, your skin thickens, you get a little bit of a perspective. You know, for me, and this is my coping mechanism, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but when somebody posts a particularly nasty comment on something that I've written or or shared online or I get a nasty uh, message, you know, hey, I think, you know, you and your show are, you know, a load of garbage. You know, that's if they're being nice. In my heart, I understand that uh, this is a person who is frustrated for some reason. Um, if there's if there's constructive criticism, if there's something I could learn from them, I'll try to learn it. But mostly, I feel just a little bit sorry for him because I realize if they could just sit down and have lunch with me, they may not agree with me, but they'd probably realize I'm okay. And so are they. It's just when we get into that keyboard warrior mentality, you know, that's that's when people seem to have very little regard for the other people in their lives. And it's sad. In fact, <clears throat> in some cases, it, it becomes almost a demonic kind of um, obsession with I want to punish people who disagree with me I want to make sure that people are suffering because they dare have a different opinion and when something bad happens to someone with whom you disagree you can tell the real monsters because they're the ones who celebrate in fact we're going to talk about that when we come back how would you react in such a situation if someone was celebrating your friend killing himself stick around we'll talk about that in just a few moments
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. All right, we are back. You know, the cancel culture mob is feeling pretty sporty these days. I don't know if it's the safety in numbers or just they have this... uh, they have this belief that they can punish anybody who disagrees with them, and, uh, and it's it's where they find purpose. In fact, I want to share a quote with you. I saw this pop up on my Facebook memories. Um, I'm not sure who said it. I certainly don't disagree. The quote says, I think there's a strain of the social justice movement, which is entirely about abusing the ability to tar people with extremely dangerous labels that they are not allowed to deny in order to further you know, the person who's doing the tarring's physical goals, or uh, political goals, rather. Sure seems like it. And I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where um, you, you've seen someone that you know, you know, being tossed to uh, the wolves, so to speak. But the irrational hatred and that lust to see other people suffer, it can bring out some of our worst tendencies as well. In fact, I'll give you a quick example of this. Um, not so many years ago, trying to think back, it would have been about six years ago, I received a letter from an individual asking me if I would like to interview him and, and talk about his book that he'd written. It was a book called Only by Blood and Suffering. The author was a cowboy by the name of Lavoie Finnicum. Now, I get uh, I get author requests quite often, and I have all throughout my radio career, my talk radio career anyways, <clears throat> just because they're they're looking for some publicity and i it's not that i'm cynical and uh, you know another author here but i was like okay somebody wrote a book and they're just looking to help promote it i wasn't that interested until i noticed that he mentioned he had been at bundy ranch back in 2014 and with that my interest shot through the roof i was like okay i want to know about this guy and so I met Lavoy Finnegan. I said, sure, come on my show. Let's, let's talk about your book. And I met a really unique, genuine, very humble, very down-to-earth guy who would later in, in some ways become a household name, at least here in the American West, uh, when uh, he and Ammon Bundy and others occupied the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge up in Oregon. Perhaps you heard a little bit about this. Now, I can only speak to what I know of Lavoie personally. I met the man on, I don't know, probably a half dozen occasions in person. Talked to him on the phone on other occasions. Um, you know, he he actually drove down to Cedar City where I was broadcasting at the time and, and was on my radio program during the occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. And I would just ask you, consider that. If that was really a standoff, oh my gosh, there's lines drawn, people pointing guns at each other. Nobody would be traveling freely to and from there. But my point is, no crime as of yet had been committed. No charges had been filed. No arrest warrant had been issued. And in fact, when a a certain uh, waste of of human skin uh, called... The FBI called the sheriff's department and tried to get them to come and arrest Lavoy because he was at the radio studio. He was very disappointed to learn, but we have no reason to arrest him. We have no warrant to arrest him. But as Lavoie Finicum became a spokesman for Ammon Bundy and the other occupiers there at that refuge... There was something about him, there was an authenticity that even people who were vehemently opposed, those who went out to the refuge and talked with him in person, came away with a much more favorable impression. In fact, in some cases, they came away going, I actually support what he's doing. I see what he's saying. And of course, uh, you probably already know, there came a point where the authorities decided, we've got to end this uh, occupation once and for all. And so they, they used their informants to uh, set up a time where they could do a traffic stop. Except it wasn't really a traffic stop so much as it was a amb- an ambush. And I mean as in a classic military L-shaped ambush on a blind curve far away from cell phone reception. The FBI helped set it up. They, they had time to cut limbs from trees to set up clear shooting lanes. They had plenty of time to plan it out. And they set in motion a situation. Now, keep in mind, there were no arrest warrants that had been issued at this time for Ammon Bundy, for Lavoy Finnicum, for anybody that was in the cars with them. But they set, the authorities set in motion a situation in which there was absolutely no room for error. Any misstep would result in deadly force. And ultimately, that's exactly what happened. They. They set up the, uh, the ambush. Um, Lavoie and the others knew that, uh, that the authorities were, uh, were coming for them hard. They were shot at, most likely with less than lethal ammunition, but nonetheless shot at at the first place where they were pulled over and stopped. And so Lavoie said, we're going we're gonna to go be meeting with the sheriff there in John Day. Follow us and we'll, we'll talk to you there. And he took off. And ultimately, he was killed after they ran into a snowbank, avoiding the roadblock there on that blind curve. It was totally unnecessary. And I say that from the standpoint of when the the case went before the jurors in Oregon, those who stood trial were acquitted. Lavoie would have been acquitted right along with them. But instead, the FBI and its uh, complicit uh, comrades in the Oregon State Police set up an ambush so that they could kill you know this this guy or stop him and or have a just justification to uh to take him out you know i mean there's some people who say it was it was an order from Kate Brown or it was an order from you know somebody high up in Obama's administration that that said you know this is this has to be done i don't know that all i know is it wasn't necessary Nobody was being violent. But here's the thing that was so difficult to deal with. The amount of bloodlust, the rejoicing, the mocking of, of Lavoie's family that followed. That was probably the most demonic behavior I've ever witnessed in my life. And it continues to this day. There's still people who they can't let it go. They can't believe Ammon Bundy was acquitted. They can't believe he's a free man. They don't know him personally, he's never done anything to them personally, but it irks them and they probably grind their teeth in their sleep, worrying about it and fretting over it. And the glee with which they celebrated this good man's unnecessary death is is a really ugly thing, possibly one of the ugliest examples of behavior that I've seen. And... If I can just be really honest, it, it uh, brought some of the darkest anger that I have felt in my heart right to the surface. I don't, uh, I, I try to, to remind myself, you know, on regular occasions that every human being that I meet up with is a child of God, is loved by their creator. But I was not feeling nearly so charitable <laughs> towards a lot of the, the folks who were, you know, heaping their derision on the Finicum family. We're going to go to break here in a moment, but when we come back, I'm going to share with you a, an article from Alexander Riley. It's a very thoughtful piece on wrestling with justice in the midst of sorrow and loss. And this is something that I've seen LaVoy's family do um, with incredible grace and patience. I mean, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine how, how much trauma you would feel knowing that your loved one had just been violently taken You know, the videos out there, the whole world is watching, you know, over and over again being played, you know, that would be tough enough. But then to have other people come along feeling like it's their duty to rub salt in your wounds, ugly, ugly stuff. I like how Alexander Riley handled it when a friend of his was driven to suicide by the cancel culture mob. And I think he has some really relevant thoughts about uh, how we might approach such a situation if we ever find ourselves struggling with that sense of when when are we going to see justice here stick around we'll talk about it in just a few moments
0: this is the brian hyde show This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They are an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And if you are lucky enough to be relocating to southern Utah, or for that matter, the state of Utah, this is who you need to be talking to about getting yourself A mortgage. This is who you need to talk to about getting your uh, VA loan, your traditional loan, your reverse mortgage, or even just refinancing your existing loan. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the experience, the stability, the clout to help you get the loan you need without delay. And as you know, in a real estate market like the one we're seeing right now, that uh, without delay means a lot. Call her at 435-703-4522 or visit her office at 619 South Bluff Street in, in St. George, Utah. Let's talk about justice. Wrestling with justice in the midst of sorrow and loss. This is a pretty powerful piece, and it's from uh, Alexander Riley, published on intellectualtakeout.org. And he says A year ago, I lost a friend. A good man who was driven to his untimely death by the wicked words and deeds of people determined to ruin his life if they could. People who loathed him without knowing him in any meaningful human way, simply because he disagreed with their beliefs about political, cultural, and philosophical matters. He says, it was a terrible thing. We cannot change such things. All we can do is learn the lessons they teach. He says, my friend Mike Adams' death powerfully recalled to me the dreadful truth that justice is not to be had in this world. Alexander Riley says, I believed I knew this already, but my ability to hide it from myself in the vain hope that I might somehow forget it is formidable. When Mike died, those who had desired his destruction claimed his own hatred led to his demise and that he had done things to deserve disgrace. Alexander Riley says those of us who knew him understood what a monstrous lie that was, and we challenged it publicly. But some of the people who hated the version of him they had created in their own minds are influential in the central cultural institutions of our society, and their lie has largely carried the day. Their insane hatred of him, which he did not reciprocate, made it impossible for them to recognize reality. And our current elitist culture embraces these same warped sensibilities. He says, Mike's death also taught me an essential lesson about forgiveness and its boundaries. Knowing the seriousness of Mike's religious faith, I've been mightily desirous of cultivating the spiritual ability to forgive. He says, I would like to be able to absolve those who caused his end and then gloated about it after the fact. But I also know the passage in Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace in which Prince Andre contemplates an enemy whom he suspects of the worst of moral transgressions against him. His sister Maria calls to him calls to, him to the path of forgiveness. "'Andre, one thing I beg, I entreat of you,' she said, touching his elbow and looking at him with eyes that shone through her tears. "'I understand you,' she looked down. "'Don't imagine that sorrow is the work of men. Men are his tools.' She looked a little above Prince Andre's head with the confident, accustomed look with which one looks at the place where a familiar portrait hangs. Sorrow is sent by him, not by men. Men are his instruments. They are not to blame. If you think someone has wronged you, forget it and forgive. We have no right to punish. And then you will know the happiness of forgiving. If I were a woman, I would do so, Maria. That is a woman's virtue. But a man should not and cannot forgive and forget, he replied. And though till that moment he had not been thinking of Currigan, Currigan, all his unexpended anger suddenly welled up in his heart. If Maria is already persuading me to forgive, it means that I ought long ago to have punished him, he thought. And giving her no further reply, he began thinking of the glad, vindictive moment when he would meet Currigan, who he now knew was in the army. End quote. Now, Alexander Riley says, internally... I should perhaps forgive the hate-filled people who hounded my friend to his death. The moral good thereof might, well, help me settle my troubled mind. But he says, I've not yet acquired this ability. I admit this is a great struggle for me. As Prince Andre's view of this matter overlaps considerably with my own, but the internal struggle goes on. Externally, though, he says the example of Mike's life is perfectly in tune with a sound understanding of the distinction between the internal spiritual struggle and the political imperative to defeat the enemy. I can struggle internally to forgive them their hatred while working still working politically against the people who pushed my friend to his death. I would be vindicated in the work itself and in seeing their perverse ideas defeated, even as I continue to try to forgive them for perpetrating their evil. He says a final moral lesson learned from Mike's death, perhaps the most important of the three, is that even those we would least suspect of alienation and suicidal loneliness can fall into that dark pit and be unable to crawl out, to climb out alone rather. Mike was strong and confident, far from the stereotypical suicide risk. Alexander Riley says, we all need sustenance from those who love us, and we are all morally charged to look out for those we love. And so he says, I will tell a friend today that I am here for him. May I ask you to consider doing the same? I don't know why this one struck me so strongly, and, and maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm the only one who really needed to hear this today, but I'm sharing this with you because I have a hunch that there are people within the sound of my voice who, likewise, are, are on the receiving end of unjust anger and derision, and and you don't know how to respond to it. I mean, look, the, the instinctual response is you return, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, you respond in kind. And there's certainly a part of me that resonates with that. But I think about something Leonard E. Reed said a long time ago, and I'm I'm paraphrasing this, but that is the higher the objective that you are trying to accomplish, the higher the methods you must use to carry that uh, objective forward. In other words, if I want to uh, if I want to see the world be a better place, I want to improve, you know, um, I I want people to, to live happy, productive, safe lives where they are free to make their own decisions. You can't try to advance that agenda through lies, through deceit, through violence. That whole end justifies the means thinking? No. And there are people out there who I think are very skilled at tapping into our fear and anger. This is one of the reasons why I have limited my intake of most mainstream media. Because it seems more than ever it's become a fear delivery system something that uh, plugs into the the darkest emotions in my heart and, and tries to stir them up, tries to whip them into a froth. You know, I want to think that I'm strong enough and I'm aware enough I can't I can't be manipulated like that, but you know what? I know better. You start showing me videos of Antifa out there being Antifa, and there's a part of me that's looking at it just going, I wish people would just shoot them where they stand. <laughs> they are so violent and so obnoxious and so disconnected from reality. You know, I, I'm, when, when somebody in a car flees and ends up going over the top of, of some of these Antifa, uh, quote, protesters that are threatening them, it's really hard not to feel any sympathy for them. So I got to do a gut check every so often too and remind myself, okay, that person in the black block gear screaming in the face of people who they don't even know accusing them of of being the worst of humanity you know that person is is obviously dealing with some really serious pain in their lives some really serious mental trauma and i don't mean that in a condescending way like they're loopy you know they're they're a bowl of fruit loops i mean they're 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 wounded It's pretty hard to feel compassion when you got somebody screaming in your face. But I think if we're going to reach our highest uh, our highest goal of becoming the best version of ourselves, we've got to have the kind of strength of character and and humility and and do I dare say the word meekness of heart to be able to withstand that without becoming that. I don't know if that makes sense. For some people they're like, "Nope, you know," somebody wants to do something snotty to me, I'm going to be snotty right back. But the older I get, the more I find that my deepest admiration is for those people who have, for whatever reason, been able to, to tame that inner caveman, that inner tyrant that wants to just go berserker on other people who are acting inappropriately and can maintain their composure and maintain that perspective of, you know what? I'm sorry you're going through that, but that's that's not where I'm going to go. This is why I'm such a, an advocate of whatever we're doing to provide solutions, at the top of our priorities should be do not bring more fear or more anger into the situation. That's tough. I'm still working on it myself. All I'm suggesting is I think it's a very worthwhile goal, and I think those who do so will be very happy that they did so.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Please pay a little visit to my uh, website, thebrianhydeshow.com. There you can uh, check out my sponsors like Life Saving Food. I'll tell you right now, one of the one of the smartest things I think a person can do is uh, make sure that they are capable of standing on their own two feet. In other words, you have enough reserves, you have enough things set aside. You're not going to be perfectly insulated from all the cares and worries in the world. But it is so helpful to have a little reserve laid aside that you can draw upon if, uh, if just heaven forbid, someone were to attempt to lock everything down again. You don't have to be one of those people running around the store, scared, trying to get whatever's left. So check them out. They're at my website, com. Look in the show notes, lifesavingfood.com. They'll take good care of you. You'll have peace of mind. You'll also be helping to support this program, which that means a lot to me. Thank you in advance for those willing to do so. You know, the pressure that's being brought to bear on those of us who are not yet vaccinated against COVID-19, it's intense. And I, I'm being, you know, I'm deliberately understanding it. Yeah, it's very intense. I saw a, a like a public artwork thing, something posted in the subway or something. That uh, I don't know if it's a real poster or not, but but it, it it depicts a very real attitude among people, and and unfortunately, it's profane enough. I can't I can't even say the words, but it's like get the effing shot, you pussy. You know, it's just it was really in your face, and there are people who are starting to openly talk like this. There's blame being laid against the unvaccinated. Why? The, every, every bit of this spread of COVID is the unvaccinated. The crazy thing is, that I know three people personally who have all been diagnosed within the last week or so with COVID. Every one of them vaccinated. Every one of them. So I don't know. There, there's, there's a very strong push to make people comply. And so I was happy to see this, uh, this article, Why I Refuse to be Vaccinated. This is from a writer by the name of Steve McCann. And I'm not telling you, you have to use his uh, logic to do so, but I thought he made a pretty good case. And and it turns out, his reasons for not being vaccinated, huh, interesting. None of these had to do with the fact that he's stupid or he's selfish, which we've been told is, you know, the only reason someone would possibly abstain from, from that uh, injection. Steve McCann says, I have been vilified for refusing to be jabbed with an experimental vaccine. I've been told that I am among the worst people on the face of the earth, as that refusal is putting an inordinate number of people at risk of near certain death. That it is my civic duty and obligation to be swept up in the hysteria and march meekly in lockstep with whatever the omniscient government bureaucrats tell us to do. That I must sacrifice personal choices and freedom for the benefit of the collective. That, in fact, the choice to get a vaccine and to wear a mask is an expression of one's freedom to be a moral citizen and to protect family, community, and country. Joe Biden has told me that I'm unpatriotic and a very stupid person for not being vaccinated and robotically believing his claim, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccines, which it looks more and more like is an out-and-out lie. Now, Steve McCann says, I'm in my later 70s. Over my lifetime, I have lived among and been exposed to people in refugee camps suffering from tuberculosis, cholera, hepatitis B, and diphtheria, and after arriving in the United States, polio. I managed to get through the Asian flu pandemic in 1957 to 1958, the Hong Kong flu pandemic of 1968 to 69, the HIV AIDS pandemic in the 80s, and the swine flu pandemic in 2009-2010. Thus, he says, I'm well aware of medical risks and realities, particularly when it comes to my health. I have been vaccinated for everything from tuberculosis to diphtheria to smallpox to polio to the annual flu. I have been reliably informed that I have a very robust immune system and, thankfully, I've never been seriously ill with any viral or bacterial infections. Now, he says, I've researched from credible non-government sources the evolution and development of the mRNA, that's the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and their possible side effects and the approval process. He says, after considering the short and long term unknowns of a new type of vaccine that contains attenuated virus based on the COVID-19 genetic code provided by China, combined with the realities of COVID infections, I concluded that I was unwilling to run the risk of compromising an immune system that had maintained my good health for nearly eight decades. Now he says, my medical history and attendant health decisions are unique to me. Every person in the United States has their own distinctive medical history. And depending on circumstances, heredity and previous access to medication and immune system, able or unable to fend off a variety of diseases. He says a one-size-fits-all vaccine, particularly one that was approved on an emergency basis with unknown short- and long-term side effects, requires allowing the citizenry to evaluate the risk for themselves. Instead, those that choose not to vaccinate are being called vile names and being threatened, intimidated, and coerced by politicians and government bureaucrats. Additionally, vaccines are being mandated as a condition of employment by many private businesses and in the federal government at the direction of the Biden administration. I should probably point out here, I just saw a headline this morning that uh, CNN just fired three staffers for refusing to get vaccinated according to company policy. Interesting. Can you imagine if Fox News were to uh, terminate three employees because they'd had abortions? Uh oh, that's private, that's their health It's their life yeah, interesting how we take a little different twist on it when it's something you know involving people who are you know trying to make choices about their own bodies, right, especially with vaccines. back to Steve McCann's article. He says, there are those who are attempting to compare the Supreme Court's approval of individual states mandating the smallpox vaccination in response to a virulent outbreak around the turn of the 20th century as a legal justification for the de facto mandating of COVID vaccines. But he points out the differences couldn't be starker. Nearly 30,000 out of 100,000 of those who contracted smallpox died of smallpox. Less than 110 out of 100,000 who contracted COVID-19 died of COVID-19. 30,000 versus 110? That's a pretty big difference. Further, the smallpox vaccine had been well-developed over 100 years before 1900. Its benefits and side effects were well-known. Now, as further validation that COVID vaccines were approved with little or no assessment of short- or long-term effects... This past May, Professor Luc Montagnier, a French virologist and Nobel Prize winner, he predicted a potential outcome of mass vaccinations. He said, quote, mass vaccinations are a scientific error as well as a medical error. It is an unacceptable mistake. The history books will show that it is that because it is the vaccine, it will show that because it is the vaccination that is creating the variants, There are antibodies created by the vaccine forcing the virus to find another solution or die. This is how variants such as the Delta variant are created. These variants are a production and result of the vaccination. So every country that has pushed pushed mass vaccination experienced tremendous growth in COVID cases, as well as increased hospitalizations and death rates among both vaccinated and unvaccinated people brought about by these variants. Fortunately, the variants to date, while highly contagious, don't appear to cause the same hospitalization and mortality rate as the first or alpha variant. But that doesn't stop the Marx inspired Marxist inspired Democrats and Biden administration from using the growth in cases to again threaten mandatory vaccinations, mask mandates, and potential lockdowns in furtherance of the strategy put in place at the beginning of the pandemic to strip Americans of their rights and transform the populace into one that will meekly acquiesce to any specious government edicts. He says the American Marxists currently in control of the Democrat Party and myriad institutions believe that not only public health programs, but all public policy should be based on force and coercion. By forcing the American citizenry to compromise their rights through overt prevarications and enforcing ill-advised mandates, the entire structure of individual freedom is eroded and trust in government permanently compromised. These collectivists fail to understand that protecting constitutional rights encourages societal solidarity. People are more likely to trust officials who protect their personal liberty. Without trust, Public officials will not be able to persuade the public to take the most reasonable precautions during future emergencies, which could make a bad situation even worse. 21st century public health depends on good science, good communication, and trust in public officials to tell the truth. Now, Steve McCann finishes by saying, by refusing to succumb to the pressure to get the COVID vaccination, these Americans are telling those in government that preserving the public's health in the 21st century requires preserving respect for personal liberty bottom line it ain't just about the vaccine it's about the loss of personal choice this is the brian hyde show